The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KDOW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, as a CFP, I'm trained in taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's all fair game. Just shoot me an email question, chad at chadburton.com. Or you can go to the website, chadchadburton.com or just chadburton.com and check out uh, all the different ways to connect, downloads, ask questions, set an appointment with me and one of my certified financial planner practitioners. Just go to chadburton.com. Well, as I'm recording this show right now, it is July 1st, the start of the third quarter. So we're already halfway through this year. It's really insane to think about, but here we are. And it's been a crazy year, to say the least, between the COVID's finally starting to kind of calm down, people vaccinated out and about, between the melting heat that the Northwest had last Monday, Vancouver office in Vancouver, Washington, right by Portland, Oregon, got to be 116 degrees. It was insane. So that in, in, in June... Record-breaking heat in June. It's crazy. Now, another thing that's crazy is we've got basically a, almost a year's worth of returns in six months already this year. And let's talk about this for a second because we're going to start to get a slew of earnings reports. So I want to talk about what's happened for the last quarter and what's happened year-to-date on various asset classes and sectors. And as we head into the second quarter earnings reports. We're going to, you know, starting next week, we'll start to get a lot of reports coming out from different companies on how they did and what they expect. Now, John Butters, a fact set, said, heading into the second quarter, 103 S&P 500 companies have issued earnings per share guidance for the quarter. The number is above the five-year average of 100. So, okay, big deal. We've got extra three companies actually giving guidance of these 103 companies, 37 have issued negative EPS guidance and 66 have issued positive earnings per share guidance. And the number of companies issuing negative earnings per share guidance is well below the five-year average of 63. And the number of companies issuing positive guidance, which is like I just mentioned before, 66, is well above the five-year average of 37. So the market's already expecting pretty blowout numbers for the quarter, though. Because you have to realize that because here's some of the things that's happened for the quarter. Let's, let's first take a look at the different sectors of the S&P 500. When, the, when you put together the S&P 500, you essentially have several different sectors, 11. You got real estate, you've got... Um, uh, you know, industrials, you've got technology, um, energy, communication, materials. I think I just said that already, but that's a slow start to the show. There we go. 
We'll talk about those sectors in a moment, but let's just talk about the, the benchmarks as a whole. What performed the best when you look at basically some of the, the main pieces of the S&P 500, the main pieces of small cap, which is the Russell, or break that down between value and growth? First of all, I will tell you in terms of sectors, last quarter, Q2, 2021, <laughs> the, the uh, best performing sector was real estate, believe it or not. Real estate returned 11.52%. If you look at RWR, if you look at IYR, another ETF that tracks real estate, that was up 11.43%. Now, for most of the year, and in year to date, if you look at the S&P 500, which is really a large cap growth index right now because of your, it's a market cap weighted index. Most of your money is in the top 50 largest companies in America in the S&P 500. And for the quarter, the S&P 500, if you look at, let's say, IVV or any of the other ETFs that track the S&P 500, it's up 11.38%. Now, the equal weighted S&P 500 ETF, RSP is one of those, has been outperforming all year, except for this last quarter. RSP equal weighted S&P 500 was up 6.7%. There's more value and there's more smaller companies. And the equal weighted S&P 500, if you had 500 bucks, it would truly be a buck invested in each company. So it's, it's more of a, a realistic view of what's going on across all 500 companies in the S&P 500. If you look at Vanguard Dividend Depreciation Index ETF, that's VIG, that one's up 5.71% for the quarter. And then going down the line, you've got EFA, which is International Developed, up 5.3%. If you look at small cap, legged large caps this quarter. Up 4.91% still, though. That's the small cap growth. If you look at the Russell, which is growth and value, small and mid cap, it was up almost 4%. Merging markets up about 3.85%. And then you've got bonds. Now, bonds actually were up for the quarter. If you look at the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, up 1.77%. Yields actually came down a bit, which doesn't make a lot of sense right now if the economy is firing as it is. And we're talking about issues of inflation and cost control and everything else. It seems like rates should be going up. Well, where they went up is a little bit recently on the short end of the curve, but not the long end. People are still looking for that safe haven. So if we go into some of the different actual sectors, well, first of all, let's go back and talk about year-to-date numbers. Because when you look at ranking these things year-to-date, small cap, really is still a big winner year to date. All right, I'll just put that out there. Small cap, which I told you back during the big correction that we had, small cap was a huge winner year to date. So small cap has outperformed large cap for the most of the year. Value has finally outperformed growth for most of the year. Switched a little bit this quarter. I will tell you technology rallied back. Um, So if we look at some of the big winners in terms of sectors, uh, we've got technology up 13% for the second quarter of the year. Real estate up 11.8%. Communication services up almost 11%, energy up 9%. And, and, and again, keep in mind, the S&P 500 in general is up 8.44. So I'm breaking down the S&P 500 and its 11 sectors. Healthcare, 
up 8%, consumer discretionary up 7%, financials up 7%, and materials up about 4% for the quarter. Emerging markets, like I said, uh, well, let's, let's stick with the sectors for a minute. So industrial stocks in general, if you look at XLI up about 3.7% for the quarter and consumer staples up 2%. And the one negative sector really of the S&P 500 that I see is utilities down about a half a percent. So essentially, you know, when you look at tech and real estate, communication services, energy, you know, all up 9% or more. This has been a year where we've had a full year's worth of returns already in six months. So keep that in mind when you're looking at rebalancing and managing risk. Now, the biggest issue is, is when you rebalance, you're typically selling some stocks that have gone up to buy some bonds. But you got to remember bond prices increased already. Rates went down and there's talk of inflation. There's talk of rising prices all over the place. The food delivery service that I use where it you know, send you the meals that are ready to go. They just sent an email out saying we're increasing shipping costs by two bucks. You're talking about higher wages across the board. It's it's tough to hire. Rates are going to go up. Okay, so we're talking about kind of results for the quarter, right? As I was fumbling my way through that discussion. I will point out cryptocurrency has been a wild ride. For the quarter, you have Ethereum up about 15.8%, Bitcoin down about 40%. And I'm starting to hear about, I had a, a client told me, about this new coin that they invested in. And they said it's really great because if, if you invested it and then other people invest in it, you get a commission for doing it. And then I'm, so I'm basically like, okay, that sounds like a multi-level marketing uh, Ponzi scheme. You know, get people in, get a commission, ride the coin value up. Who's going to be the first to sell? So there's some really, really wacky stuff going on in cryptocurrency issues right now. And even like the idea that you can invest in stuff and, uh, you know, loan it out and make an interest income on it. Um, I'm starting to see a ton of different hedge style funds where they trade cryptocurrency. Minimum investments, a hundred grand fees at 2% a year. Plus they charge 20% of profit. And these are only available for accredited investors. So basically rich people. A lot of crazy stuff going on in there. So getting back to the discussion, let's go back to the year-to-date discussion when we look at different sectors in the economy. So when I talk about sectors, we're talking about the 11 sectors of the S&P 500. So I'm going to hit them year-to-date returns as we start the second quarter. I'm sorry, start the third quarter of 2021. So for the year so far, when we all thought oil was dead because Russia was just going to overpump and produce as much oil as they wanted, Energy stocks, if I look at XLE, is up 45% for the year. Financial stocks, if I look at XLF ETF, is up 25.5%. Real estate. Real estate? What? People are paying rent? People are still paying for their commercial properties that they're, everybody's working from home? Well, XLRE, which is um, real estate select sector spiders, up 23.2%. Communication services, up XLC up 20.4. Industrial stocks up 16% for the year. And again, S&P 500, if we look at SPY, up 15.25% for the year. We've got a full year's worth of returns plus in six months. So keep that in mind. So if you were planning on needing to sell something to either replenish your cash if you're retired, or you have something major that you want to buy, 
you've had a huge year already. Keep that in mind. In stock market money, it'll treat you really well 10, 15, 20 years out. But if you have money that you need to spend in the next 6 to 12 months, getting hit with the downside always hurts more than missing out on a little bit of upside. Keep that in mind. Technology, although it rallied and was the pretty much the best tech, the, the best sector out there. If I look at just XLK as a technology-based ETF, which got a, there's some of the stocks in there kind of cross different sectors, up 14%. So I just thought I'd point that out there. Um, and I will say the Russell 1000, this is not a sector discussion. This is a cap size discussion because S&P 500 is large cap. S&P 500 up 15.25% for the year. Um, and the Russell 1000 growth, if you look at it, IWF is up 12.88%. But if you look at like a small cap value, um, most of those are going to be up like VB, Vanguard, uh, actually, eh, let's, let's take a, a look at like VBR, which is Vanguard small cap value ETF. If we look at that, year to date, it's up 23%. So small cap value has been the big winner in terms of asset classes. So I want to, ex- again, explain the difference between sectors. So you look at the S&P 500, you can break it down between sectors, whether it's material, uh, communication services, consumer discretionary. Um, it's it's the, the type of companies that you're investing in. Where do they sell their goods and services? But most people invest in terms of asset allocation, when it comes to cap sizes. So you look in your portfolio and you look at your pie chart and you first say, how much do I want in stocks versus bonds versus cash versus commodities versus real estate, right? So when it comes to stocks, you have large cap, small cap, and mid cap and international and emerging markets. But then you also have the different styles of investing. You have growth, which you're looking at price momentum. You're looking at revenue growth, companies that are changing the world and growing revenue very quickly. Yes, their profits aren't that great. Yeah, their PE ratios are really high, but they're gaining so much revenue that eventually there'll be a crossover. And the profits will be so high that that's why the stock prices are moving. Then there's value. Now, value just the idea of looking at a company and saying, oh, it's a good deal because its price to earnings is much lower than everything else or its price to book is much lower than everything else. You got to ask yourself why. So indexes aren't obviously the best way to go because sometimes you need to say, okay, it's a value. Here's why it's a value. It's a garbage company. But now here's this other company. It looks the same. It's got a great value, price to earnings, price to book, but they're doing a turnaround. They have a new good product service. They have a good CEO now that's going to start controlling costs. And so there's, there's a reason why you look at different types of value. Value has outperformed growth this year. Small cap value, especially, has outperformed large cap. And we are getting a bit of a rotation. Now, the gap was slightly closed this last quarter. Where growth did pretty darn well. Tech recovered greatly. Um, so you got to have it all. You got to own a little bit of everything. And when you're younger and you're investing all the time through your paycheck, one of the good things you can do is first of all, you need to realize are you overweight in anything? Are you drastically overweight in large cap value? Because you've only been investing in the, in the S&P 500 and tech companies over the last five or 10 years. 
you're you're adding all the time, so you could fix your asset allocation over to, in two ways. You could rebalance right away and get all the different asset classes, or you can focus your contributions on asset classes that you're missing. So if you're all U.S. large cap, change your contributions in your 401k so that you're adding some small value, small growth, international emerging markets, and start rounding out your portfolio with contributions. If you're 10 years away from retirement or less, it's time to rebalance. You need to focus on risk reduction. Asset allocation doesn't mean you're going to outperform the market on the upside. It just doesn't. It's because you own a little bit of everything. What asset allocation typically means is over 10 and 15 year periods, when the market declines, 70% of the time the market's positive, 30% of the time the market's negative. So when the market declines, that's when you typically win. You don't go down as much. And then at that point when the stocks do go down and you have bonds, cash, commodities, real estate, other things like that, that allows you to, when you see those 20, 30% corrections like we had last year in March and April, that allows you to sell some bonds, buy some stocks on the cheap. You rebalance. So you can actually have a sometimes a lower average annual rate of return, but a higher portfolio value after a 10, 15, 20 year period if you're rebalancing and, and adding and contributing properly and you're not pulling out when the market declines. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass, the will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Speaking of retirement planning, uh, Jacqueline Sargent put out a pretty good article. And it talked about different ways people fail in retirement. And the one of the ways that you know I think people fail is what creeps me out about thinking forward and looking at retirement. And one of the reasons why I, it kind of dawned on me that, man, I got to travel more now. I got to have more fun now is because the things that I like to do require a lot of physical activity, whether it's hella skiing, my snowboard. It's, hella boarding doesn't really sound very right. So snowboarding, wake surfing, um, you know, all that stuff that hips and knees. And then building a business from when I was 19 on in this world, I just realized that August is going to be my 28th year, 28th anniversary in this business. And so I had kids young, had a business young, didn't do much traveling at all, even though I like to globally invest. And I'm like, I need to experience this stuff now because I love my job. I love my work. I don't care if I work past 60, 65. I want to live life now, build experiences with my kids because having... One older one that's about to graduate college, one going into college, and then uh, you know, one going to junior in high school, and then a five-year-old. There's certain pockets of time where the kids want to travel and enjoy life with you, and that's a very small pocket. It's kind of like now through the end of high school, and then in college they want to kind of do their you know college trips with their friends, and then it's again later in life. So you got to really jump on those pockets. But the other thing that really scares me in retirement is just the overall health issue. Because one of the most boring conversations that you can have with people in retirement is when they sit there and talk about all their health ailments and how they spend their entire week 
going with each other if they're a married couple to different appointments. And oftentimes when you get into the mid 70s and 80s, there's one that has much worse health and then the other one's driving around spending a majority of their retirement caring for the other one. And so one of the biggest failures in retirement, like I keep talking to you guys about, is, is just your overall health. And a lot of people, you know, work, 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 especially in the tech world, you know, 60, 70 hours a week and go, 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 go. And then you finally just pull the plug and retire because you just can't do it anymore. And all of a sudden you realize your health isn't great and you have no motivation to work out. You have no motivation to eat, right? Or maybe you just don't even know how because you've never done it before. There is a really good time then to get a nutritionist coach, a personal trainer. You've saved all this money. Use it for something. And doing, using that money on, on health is going to make the later days in retirement so much better. Because the people that have the worst retirement, there's, there's two that I can think of. One is the person that kind of is retired and they really weren't ready for it. Maybe it was kind of a forced retirement, a downsize, the company changed management, um, you know, took a severance package, but they weren't really ready. And then they kind of try to go back to work, but then there's age discrimination. So then all of a sudden they're focusing and they're looking at their portfolio every day and they're watching Jim Cramer on CNBC. Um, they're, they're, CNBC is awful. Like it, the, the, the way that they have people just, throwing different ideas. I think this, I think that making you think that the best thing you can do is constantly trade your portfolio or second guess stuff. I can tell you over the 28 years that I've been in the business, sometimes the best thing to do in in investing is nothing. Continue to hold good funds, indexes, good stocks through declines. I mean, just look at Apple. There's years where Apple crushes the market and years where it drastically underperforms the market. And so the people that they end up watching their, their nest egg that they used to be funding every two weeks with their paycheck, they're freaking out about it and they don't have a life and they're constantly watching their portfolio, second guessing what their money manager's doing and they're miserable because instead of spending and enjoying their money, they're worried about it all the time because that's what they put their focus on. And then people that just kind of, oh, I'm just going to take a year off and be lazy and watch my stories on TV. They get into some binge watching and all of a sudden they're a year into their retirement and they're watching eight to 10 hours of TV a day and they're sitting in their chair and their health starts to deteriorate even more. Body's not meant to sit. So it hurts when they walk and they're just miserable. They're, they're seven years old and they look like they're 90. The people that are the most vibrant, happy and healthy in retirement are those that are most physically active they're, they keep their brain active, especially by volunteering for different things. And, you know, I have one client, Levy, that literally once a week, I think he swims the Alcatraz to swim. And he's in his 70s. He looks like he's maybe 60, but he's constantly swimming. He's out there with his feet in the sand, which is super healthy. He's out there, you know, physically active. Um, different types of you know, uh, working out as well. So you got weights that are probably the most important because of bone density. Swimming, biking, some sort of tennis style sport. Those are the people that tend to be in the best shape. And then they eat pretty healthy too, especially a lot of fish and like more of a Mediterranean style diet. 
And I'm telling you, you got to focus on that because you can save all the money in the world. And I can show you linear cash flow models that say, hey, you're going to be in great shape based on a conservative rate of return and inflation. You have enough money to last till age 100. And hey, let's run a Monte Carlo simulation, which does a thousand different economic and market scenarios in terms of the sequence of returns with the portfolio that could occur. And hey, you've got a 95% success rate that you're going to be okay in retirement. And then you don't do anything and you're, you don't travel, you don't work out, you don't have, and what, what is it all for? So one of the biggest pays people can fail in retirement is health and not focusing on your nutrition and uh, not focusing on working out. So that's one of them that was missed in this article by Jacqueline Sargent that I wanted to mention. So she goes on to say um, a couple of other ones. Divorce. Getting divorced is devastating to your wealth. And I'm seeing so much more gray divorce is what they're calling it now because you know people spend their whole lives working and then putting their kids through college. And then all of a sudden the kids, they're empty nesters. The kids are off on their own. And people are looking at each other like, what do we have in common anymore? And it's happening more and more. And then people are, you know, obviously looking out on social media thinking other people have it much better than them because all people post on social media is the good stuff. And they soon realize that when two people are in separate households, it's more than, things just aren't cut in half, guys. I mean, the only thing that's cut in half is food and, uh, you know, maybe utilities. Other than that, you're, you're really, decreasing your chances. So, you know, if you're on that glide path to retirement 10, 15 years out and you feel like you, you're kind of like, well, what are we going to do when the kids are gone? What are we going to do when we retire? We have much different thoughts of how life will work when we retire. You better start some marriage counseling now. And maybe part of that is because of your adult children. That's, that's another way that people fail in retirement. The enabling that occurs just kind of kills me. And, and a lot of times people are enabling one kid and allowing them to fail over and over again or her to fail over and over again. They keep continually bailing them out, letting them move back in. And then the other kids that you might have get super ticked off. It creates a really tough family dynamic because now not only are you bailing them out and then the other kids are looking at, hey, that, you know, you're not helping me, you're helping them. And by helping them, you're kind of screwing them up. So you get this family dynamic that gets hurt. But then people just ruin their retirement by continuing to help their kids. Paying off debt, helping them get into a house they can't afford, helping them buy cars they can't afford, allowing them to do stupid things over and over again. So don't enable adult children. Um, sometimes you just got to hit rock bottom before you kind of pick yourself up and move forward and think about the family dynamics and equalizing. There's a lot of times where we have to go through an estate plan and adjust final payouts at death because there's always one kid that they had to give a bunch of money to while they're alive and they didn't do it to the other kids because they couldn't really afford it. So they're like, okay, well, we'll adjust this at death where the kid we helped whether where we were living isn't going to get as much after we pass away. We're doing that quite a bit. A couple other things, second and third homes. Second and third homes, especially now with real estate prices where they are, you, you got to think of it in terms of 
what real estate does as a price appreciation over the long run versus stocks, like 20, 30 year periods. And to do the proper cost analysis, you have to, you can't just look at the price appreciation. When you look at, oh, I bought this home in the Bay Area in 1980 for 280,000. Now it's worth 1.5. Okay. Well, out of that, subtract all of the property taxes that you pay, all of the insurance that you pay, all of the maintenance that you did, all of the remodels that you did, and look at your real return, people. Price is one thing, real return is another one. And so a lot of times people right in the beginning of retirement think they want to get that second home. And what happens quite often is they'll go to that second home a lot in the beginning and then, you know, kids' lives change and, and the newness of it wears out. Your, your kids and your grandkids aren't coming as much because the grandkids are now in college. And you go to the second home and you spend the first several days kind of fixing things back up and getting things maintained and making phone calls. And all of a sudden you're like, why did I buy this? I don't want to go to this spot anymore. I want to go to, you know, Croatia or something like that. So if you're into that second home because you wanted to buy a really nice place to stay and you don't like hotels and, you know, Airbnb is not quite for you because it's not quite nice enough. There's other options out there. Like I do Inspirado Travel Pass, which is not cheap, but it's a concierge travel service because I tell you, when I go to travel and book a trip, I'm like, I get so overwhelmed with research and actually trying to get this stuff done that I end up not booking anything. So it's talking about different ways that people can uh, kind of screw up their retirement. So I left off with second and third homes. Uh, be very careful before you do that. You know, in some cases where you might turn it into a high-end Airbnb where you're getting some income out of it while you're not using it. Then you've got an income-producing asset that can grow also in price value. So I kind of like that a little bit better. But I've had so many situations where we help people buy that second or third home. And then 5, 10 years later, we're helping them sell it because they don't want it anymore. So keep that in mind. And the maintenance, the insurance costs, all of that kind of stuff, that can be a big issue. Um. A couple of other things that obviously can ruin retirement is healthcare costs. Retirees can expect to pay about $300,000 for healthcare costs. And again, this is an article that I was looking at by uh, Jacqueline Sargent. She tends to put out some pretty good stuff at ThinkAdvisor. Um, the, the healthcare issue is... Fidelity constantly does this study too where they say, okay, about... Retirees can expect to pay about three hundred thousand in costs for healthcare, and we do it in more of a cashless situation. Where here's your cost in retirement: Medicare Part A is for free. Medicare Part B you have to pay for. Typically, right out of your Social Security, the normal cost is around one hundred and fifty bucks a month. But if you have a high income, it could be up over four hundred dollars a month. It's called Irma. And then you look at supplemental insurance, prescription drug coverage, and co-pays over your life, dental costs over your lifetime, and we do it as a monthly slash annual amount with a 5% inflation on it. The way that Fidelity looks at it is they say, okay, a person could set aside $300,000 in one account and that would be drained likely over their lifetime just for healthcare costs. Then you've got long-term care issues, which, you know, besides maybe 100 days of coverage, if you go through the right hoops, long-term care, nursing homes, assisted living, that's not covered by any of that stuff. That's on your own. And then people bought long-term care insurance years ago had one client get another rate increase letter from Genworth with a settlement option. And it's like they thought they bought a policy 
oh, I don't know, about 12, 13 years ago. And Genworth keeps going to the state of California, raising rates, and they're doing it again. And so long-term care insurance, people are starting to get gun shy on it. If you can afford to self-insure, great. If not, there's traditional long-term care insurance. There's also life insurance policies that you can get the death benefit while you're alive to help pay for long-term care. By the way, in the state of Washington, there's a new long-term care tax kicking in. So if you don't buy some sort of a policy by November 1st, you're going to pay extra taxes. And so that's an issue that we're still looking into. It's a disaster of a law in the state of Washington. Starting a new business. This is one, you know, I don't often see people start a brand new business in retirement. What I see more of is is them investing. All of a sudden they retire and they think they've got all this money and they're going to be angel investors and they're going to invest in a new friend's company or help their kids start a business. You know, that's fine. If you've done your retirement plan, you know what, what you have to have in your portfolio. It has to be conservative and, you know, traditionally balanced portfolio and some safety. And you realize that, okay, I've got extra money. I'm going to be leaving a bunch of money to my kids. So yeah, I can afford to help them start a business while I'm alive. And this is money that I know I'll likely never see back. But, you know, and I like this because they quote Marcus, that guy from uh, CNBC, The Prophet, the five Ps, purpose, people, process, profits, and pricing. That is so true. If you run a business and you haven't read stuff like The E-Myth, which is talking about everything has to be written down, procedures and everything else, you know, don't, don't even bother. Don't become an angel investor in retirement for the first time. Don't start investing your kids and your friends brand new business for the first time. Likely you will not get that money back. And another failing piece that I want to go over is elder fraud. Oh man, I've seen more and more of this. The scams, the phishing scams, the phone call saying that it's your son, grandson or granddaughter and you're in jail. I need you to wire me money. Um, you're starting to have to have safe words for, or, or, you know, passcodes for your family. Like it's a great idea to have you, your parents or your grandparents know a family password so that if a grandson, a granddaughter, son, daughter calls and is asking for help for some reason, grandma or grandpa know to ask for the family password. And if that person doesn't know it, then you, you hang up right away. Social security will never call you. Tax, the IRS will never call you ever. And people over and over again keep falling for the elder fraud. People keep falling for that contractor that shows up and says, I can fix your roof for this price. Just give me $5,000 cash now and the rest later. And then they never show up again. Hacks. I can't tell you how many wealthy clients that I have that I look at their laptop and it's seven years old. If you want to stop fraud and things like that, go get a brand new laptop every two years. Make sure it's up to date with virus protections, pay for a service, get some LifeLock or some Xander identity theft insurance and have that stuff monitored. Have your credit on lock. If your parents don't know how to do it, help them do it. Elder fraud is becoming a major issue. Um, Heard a story of a guy from somebody that used to deliver mail that would fall for every single attempt to send money. If you send us a hundred bucks, we'll send you back a hundred bucks every month for three months. Literally cash in envelopes on a constant basis. They even reported it to local 
governments and there's really not much they could do. The guys still continue to send out cash over and over again in envelopes and the post people had to deliver it. Um, so it's really tough things like that happen. Help your parents, your grandparents monitor their uh, credit, lock their credit and get them new machines. Get them to learn how to use a Mac, an Apple product. It tends to be a little bit easier security-wise so they don't have to do the constant updates like you seem to do have to do on a Windows machine. So help them out. That's one of the best ways to do it. Well, that is all the time we have for the show. Thank you for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. If you have a money question for the show, any money issue at all, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, it's all fair game. Shoot me a question. Chad at chadburton.com. Have a great day. You can find me and the podcast, everything else at chadburton.com. 